0: Welcome to the Tech Disruptors podcast hosted by Bloomberg Intelligence. In this podcast series, we talk with CEOs and management teams about their views on disruption and how it's driving their decision-making and strategy. My name is Mandeep, and with me today is Alex Yampolsky, the CEO of Security Scorecard. Alex, welcome to the podcast. Mandeep, it's great to be with you. Great. So, uh, look, uh, I mean, we've had a number of guests from different domains within software who have talked about generative AI, and I know you guys have, uh, you know, leveraged GPT uh, for what you are doing. Uh, why don't we just start off with your background first and how you ended up starting this company?
1: Sure. I've always been fascinated with cybersecurity since I was a kid. When I was 12 years old my friend brought me a video game, Prince of Persia, and infected it with a computer virus. And I wanted to learn how cybersecurity works. Since then, I did my PhD in cryptography at Yale. I ran authentication and entitlement team at Goldman Sachs, worked at Oracle, and then I became a chief security officer in an e-commerce startup by uh, Kevin Ryan called Guild Group in New York City. We were going through uh, hyperscale, uh, growing from a few hundred people to thousands of people. And uh, three months into my tenure, Kevin sent me an email and said, Alex, can you prepare for me a presentation about how we're doing in security? I came into his office and I started sharing the slides about the different risk programs I'm putting in place, the people I'm hiring. He looked at me and said, I don't think you're doing a good job because I don't hear enough people complaining about you as a seesaw. And that was a realization that there's no KPIs that existed in cybersecurity. In anything else you do, you drive a car, you have a speedometer. You go to a doctor, they measure your blood pressure. In cybersecurity, you had nothing. You had no idea how you're doing, how you compare it to the industry, how you compare it to your peers. You had no idea how your information is being protected when you send it to a third-party company. Uh, and these days, we're all interconnected to each other. So the idea I had together with my business partner, Sam Kasume, in 2014, why can't there be security ratings, just like you have credit scores by S&P, why can't there be security scores to measure cybersecurity? And Security Scorecard was born.
0: Great. So uh, looks like a very novel concept. And uh, you've been... Uh in existence for a while, Uh, tell us how you made that pivot to uh, using GPT-4 and what you are doing and uh, what has it brought to the table.
1: Sure, 100%. Well, we're collecting the data over the past nine years. We scan every single company in the world and we measure different type of signals indicating good or bad security hygiene, and uh, by sitting on nine years of data, we've actually backtested our models, and we've demonstrated that the, that the companies to whom we give a bad rating, like a F, are almost eight times more likely to be breached than companies with a good score. So uh, security scorecard led the industry by being the first security rating solution to integrate with GPT system, and we introduced a powerful global search using natural language that allows, CISOs and practitioners to now ask questions and gain a deep understanding of their cyber exposure and security vulnerabilities so you could ask specific questions like identify my 10 lowest rated business partners or reveal critical vendors breached in the past year and those queries yield actionable results for rapid risk assessment and so i think the power of uh, GPT and this AI search is that now you have a easier way to communicate with a system with huge quantities of data, now you can look for this needle in a haystack much faster.
0: Got it. So uh, maybe, you know, just to draw a comparison with something like a SIM, which uh, most of the people who cover the cybersecurity industry understand that's uh, a segment that has been around for a long time. It's a point product, but Almost everyone uses Sim, so a security scorecard is not a Sim solution. This is a different type of search that you are providing. Yes, yeah,
1: Sim aggregates the data from different type of systems like Splunk. What security scorecard does is we collect our own data indicating resilience of companies. And then we give you a score representing the company's likelihood to suffer a data breach so this layer of search is actually on top of our own data lake on top of a data that we gather and on top of our ratings that we provide
0: got it so uh, in, in that case who are your customers like uh, are are we talking about large enterprises who use your product like who, who is your uh, target customer sure well we have over 2,600 customers
1: uh, across 46 different countries, uh, 70% plus of the Fortune 100 actually uses us. We have a number of use cases. Use case number one is when uh, customers in a cybersecurity team wanna rate security of their business partners, associates, third parties. So they use the ratings that we provide as a litmus test to decide if those partners are diligent about security. The second use case is you have companies using our scores to report to the board, to improve their own resilience. We show them what the hacker sees and we help them improve their security. Uh, And then the third use case is cyber insurance underwriting, where insurance companies are using us to decide what type of a premium to charge. And if a company that's asking for cyber insurance is too risky to insure.
0: Got it. So in that case, uh, you know, I mean, having covered this industry for a while, I know a lot of the security sales are through channel partners, whether it's your service providers or value-added resellers. I mean, are those guys using your product to evaluate what solution they want to offer to their customers? Or uh, as you explained, you are more, uh, you know, uh, targeting the companies who are using these uh, scorecard metrics for their internal analysis. Well, we're
1: 100% channel companies. So from the inception, we worked with many top channel partners like Optiv, GuidePoint and various other channel partners who offer us not just our solution and ratings, but they also offer a set of services, how to improve your resilience, how to report to the board how to build a third party risk management program. So the end customers really are banks, financial services companies, healthcare technology, retailers, and really we have both very large companies and small companies using us. So it's really one size fits all. And we work with a variety of channel partners and resellers to offer a solution and to layer a set of services on top
0: of it. Got it. So in terms of the scorecard, are you evaluating the efficacy of different products? And and cybersecurity is one market which is extremely fragmented. There is a new vector that, uh, you know, uh, I guess comes to the scene every six to 12 months, every attack has got its own set of nuances. And uh, I'm curious, like, how do you one track all these vectors? And then in terms of measuring efficacy, can you standardize this or uh, does your scorecard uh has to evolve because you know uh, the way uh, kpis uh, can be measured I, I guess the units of that keep changing
1: sure well uh, we published our algorithm uh, if you go to trust scorecard.com we actually published the algorithm what we do is we built a technology to gather signals all over the internet across a variety of security categories in application security, endpoint security, patching, dark web data. uh, And we uh, correlate likelihood of a company to be breached uh, according to those signals. Uh, We've tested a model, and we actually collaborated with Marsh McLennan, who has published a study together with us showing that the scores are 7.7 times higher likelihood for poorly rated companies uh, to have a data breach than for companies that are rated well. All the issues, all the scores that we provide are actually mapped to open standards. So we map our scores and issues to MITRE, to NIST frameworks, to ISO. Uh, so the actual issues and the scores we provide are mapped to um, industry standards and we publish everything we do as well as the accuracy rates. Transparency is very, very important to us as a business okay. principle.
0: Got it. So just for the sake of example, and I I mean, you can tell me if, uh, you know, uh, that's not the right way to think about it. A company like Microsoft, you know, they have a number of uh, sort of uh, outdated patches or, you know, vulnerabilities to their legacy software which is the cause for a lot of these breaches or at least it's one of the sort of the vectors that gets used a lot of times by uh, by you know these hackers at the same time they are one of the largest security provider you know i mean some claim they have a 15 to 20 billion dollar security business so how would you evaluate someone like microsoft through your scorecard microsoft has a lot of great cybersecurity
1: products and it's the most successful technology company in the world. As a matter of fact, we actually partnered with Microsoft. We are collaborating with them to integrate our signals into the co-pilot environment uh, where they use ChatGPT and expose all kinds of different signals for SOC analysts. I think that whenever you evaluate security of any company, whether it's Microsoft or Amazon or any other company, there's a lot of nuances. You need to understand what's a business case, what's the business impact of a relationship. Uh, And then I think you don't want to look at the entire company, you want to look at a specific use case, perhaps a subsidiary or specific solution that you use within a company. And I think all these nuances need to factor in into a decision of whether you accept risk, transfer risk, or mitigate risk. But Microsoft has a lot of great security products, so they're definitely leading the way in the security industry in many ways. But at the same time, Just like in any software, uh, attackers go after software and vulnerabilities. And uh, it's interesting that a lot of the time, the patches are actually readily available. A lot of the time, companies like Cisco, Microsoft, and various others, they publish the patches. But the companies take too long to adopt them. Uh, They actually, like we measured the uh, adoption rate. And sometimes companies take up to a year to update their systems and the attackers uh, take advantage of that opportunity and they go after the companies that are unpatched not because the patches are not available just because the the companies took too slow to apply it within the environment
0: in fact that's a perfect segue into you know something that comes up in a lot of my conversations with companies and industry participants is this issue of training you know whether it's employee clicking on a phishing email or companies uh, uh, being slow to apply patches. How would you evaluate that in your scorecard, given you know, these are more issues that are related to training, not related to you know, the quality of uh, a software uh, that uh, is providing the security? So uh, curious to see how you factor for these things in your scorecard.
1: Sure. Well, the people are always the weakest link. Because no computer system in the world operates without human interference. So the easiest way to break into a company is through phishing and social engineering. So uh, what we do is you can actually measure various types of reaction time of companies, of how expediently they uh, react. Here's an example. Suppose a company's uh, computer is infected with malware you can start measuring how long the malware beacons outside of the company because we're running a huge sinkhole infrastructure. And let's say everybody's computer, it takes three days for people to remediate a malware infection, just hypothetically speaking, but your company takes one and a half days until the signal stops beaconing. That means you're twice as fast. So you can actually start measuring the training and reaction time through those externally observable signals, like how long does the malware infection last, or how many uh, leaked credentials are available in a dark web for a particular company, like are they uh, using multi-factor authentication? You can actually start observing a lot of the signals from outside and then making certain deductions based on that.
0: Okay, so uh, look, I mean, we've come a long way within security. There was a point when, you know, I started covering this market. There was just signature-based, uh, you know, endpoint security, and then, you know, companies started applying machine learning, and now we are talking about Gen AI and copilots. As a startup which has leveraged, you know, uh, LLMs for their products how do you continuously fine tune uh, your models given you are relying on gpt and uh, what sort of competitive advantage can companies develop over time given with security there is always a new startup that comes up with you know uh, a better approach uh, that's why we don't have you know a big security software company yet and and curious to hear your thoughts around that
1: Well, I think the big advantage for any type of a data company which uses AI, including us, is the contributory network effect. Just like Google gets smarter, depending on what type of advertising you click, or Facebook can fine-tune the advertising it shows you, based on your behavior. Similarly, our technology gets smarter as more companies uh, interact with it. So like any company in the world can claim the scorecard for free. So like for free, any company in the world can claim their scorecard, we tell them what are the things they can improve to make their uh, resilience better. Uh, and we learn from that interaction, our technology gets smarter from it. So the mode, right, the competitive mode is not just the architecture and the patents, but it's also this contributory data effect as the system interacts with the users.
0: Right. and and how do you go about scraping this data like what's uh, the incentive for uh the you know companies to give you this sort of data where you can uh, you know do these uh, evaluations and create a scorecard i mean i'm guessing a lot of this data is hard to get and and i'm uh, guessing that's that's the secret sauce of the product but curious you know Uh, is that the hard part in terms of finding uh, those data points on which you build the scorecard? Yeah, so we collect
1: all the data ourselves and the data can be quite heterogeneous. It could be as simple as an out-of-date copyright notice. You look at a website and it says copyright 2000. But, you know, it's 2023. So you just discovered that the company has not updated its website for years. Or you can start noticing that there's a malware beaconing out of, outside of our infrastructure because whenever a machine is infected with malware, it talks to a command and control computer, and it's identified through this domain generation algorithm. So we have a team that reverse engineers the malware, and we predict what are those command and control domains, and we manage to register and take over them. So we really built a technology which is gathering information from all over the world. So what are the challenges? The challenges obviously scale, Every single day, we collect billions of signals. You're talking about petabytes of data, historically. So you need to process the data at scale. Then number two, whenever you have a data going into a score, you need to make sure that the data is accurate, normalized, clean. Because, uh, for example, if you're trying to gather information about machines in China and you do it from outside, you're going to get a very sparse representation. So you need to gather it from multiple geographic locations and correlate those signals. So you gotta make sure the data is objective, trusted, clean, you gotta scale your systems. So there's a lot of interesting nuances associated with doing it at the scale that we're doing.
0: And is this log data or this is different type of data that you are collecting uh, around, uh, I, I guess, how different companies are running their infrastructure?
1: It's, extern- it's
0: externally
1: observable data that indicates to you resilience of companies. For example, let's say you walk in, in a neighborhood and you see that there's a building with graffiti on a wall and a window broken. You can deduce that maybe the owner is out of town or the building is not in good shape. It turns out there's all kinds of signals that you can also pick up for companies from outside indicating the company's cyber resilience
0: okay that that makes sense so uh, clearly you know uh, uh, now uh, i i can see why this can be very powerful because you uh, obviously are tracking this over time and uh, you uh, the scorecard concept uh, is uh, you know something that gets better over time as uh, I, I guess you collect more data so that makes perfect sense are there any other companies that Uh, had this idea, or even if they were late to this, have started doing this uh, um, on the internet?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, there's competitors in a space, and I think it's a great signal because I think competition drives excellence and innovation. Uh, I do anticipate security ratings space to be similar to credit rating space where you have, you know, Moody's, S&P, and a couple of other uh, credit rating agencies, but you're not going to have 10 or 20 we are the leader in a space. We have the strongest technology. We differentiate through breadth and depth of data that we collect. We have a robust marketplace with hundreds of integrations. Uh, we differentiate through our robust marketplace of workflow automations, the breadth and depth of data that we collect, and you know, like I said, we used by over seventy percent of Fortune one hundred. We work with the regulators. It's kind of publicly known that, for example, TSA, Transportation Security Agency, uses us. New York Department of Financial Services uses us. Actually, interestingly, as a matter of fact, uh, Anne Neuberger, who is a Deputy National Security Advisor in the White House, uh, she mentioned recently that she thinks that she envisions a future where uh, companies and businesses need to have letter, uh, letter grade scores for cybersecurity. So it's interesting that this was also mentioned by the White House.
0: Got it. And uh, I, I guess in terms of uh, how you are running your own infrastructure, clearly you are uh, you know, uh, dealing with large amounts of data. Are you doing this on a public cloud? Uh, and and uh, you, since you're using GPT, I'm guessing you're not training your own model. You're just fine tuning it. And uh, would love to hear a little bit about your uh, back-end infrastructure. So we collect the
1: data. So the data collection itself happens from multiple data centers all over the world, and we are running our own infrastructure for collecting the data. Then, once the data is collected in a raw form, it is shipped to Amazon EC2. And so we use an Amazon to crunch process the data and serve it in a user interface. And then, given that we have customers all over the world. Uh, there's also data residency right like so in situations where customers upload some type of internal or private information there's also data residency where we may store the data only in europe or only in us but most of the data analytics and ui is done in amazon ec2 and then the data collection will run our own infrastructure
0: so one question that just came to my mind was i mean as a a consumer of the scorecards, you look at this scorecard once and you probably don't need to look at it again for another six months. Is that how your customers use it? Because there isn't like an everyday dashboard that you want uh, to look at in this case. I mean, I I feel like uh, these things, even though you are on the behind the scenes, you are doing the work on a daily basis to uh, curate these uh, metrics and the scorecard, But uh, from a customer's perspective, it's like, yeah, I I needed it once, but then I'm not going to look at it for another six months. Is that the right way to think about it? Actually,
1: what our customers love
0: is that uh, the uh,
1: scorecards are continuous. They're updated all the time because if you do a rigorous security audit and a rigorous security assessment, it could be out of date just a day later a sleep deprived IT administrator is going to misconfigure the system and then the hackers break in. So you need continuous security ratings and continuous security monitoring. So our customers actually configure workflow automation rules. For example, if you have a malware in the scorecard of your third party, go trigger an alert. If a score drops below a C, go do an additional investigation. So our customers actually love the continuous nature, and they integrate it into the environment. They put it into Splunk, into ServiceNow, into their SIM providers, and they uh, build automation on top of what we do uh, to make sure that uh, they have continuous visibility into the threats
0: understood okay that makes sense so i i guess in terms of your business model is this more of a subscription seed based model or a consumption model so it's a,
1: a consumption model based on how many scorecards you monitor uh, and a scorecard represents a company and basically the more scorecards you monitor um, the better kind of discounts and deals you get so we have some banks who are monitoring tens of thousands of their suppliers every time they do business with another company. They require that company to go through an assessment and they look at a score by security scorecard. We we see the same with pharmaceuticals, vaccine manufacturers, hedge funds. Uh, And so we have customers who use this for every supplier. And then we have some customers who are still building out their third party risk program and getting it started. And in that case, they might start smaller.
0: Got it. And have there been instances where the company on which you have a scorecard came to you and said uh, you are, uh, you know, assessing us incorrectly or they don't agree with uh, the scoring that you have? So any company in the world uh, can get access to the system
1: and provide their feedback, provide commentary. Um, Any company can dispute a score, can have edit and commentary capabilities. So yes, we have situations where an assessed company might come and say, "Hey, I don't agree with it," or "Here's an additional information or maybe compensating control that I have that makes us safe." And so we allow any of that information to be reflected in a system. And so I think any system, by the way, for cybersecurity or AI, needs to have edit and comment capabilities, which makes it easy for its users to provide comment and edit capabilities. By the way, the same actually needs to apply to AI. And ChatGPT does it, like when it produces an output, you can say, "Hey, thumbs up, thumbs down."
0: And uh, just an industry level question before we get into the rapid fire questions, uh, which is our last five minutes. How do you think, you know, the security space is going to evolve? Given we've got a lot of legacy products, and you know, what do you think the customers will feel compelled to uh, uh, replace quickly? as a result of your technology, as a result of the fact that now we have data to accurately measure the efficacy of these products?
1: So I think that, uh, you know, I think that uh, CISOs and CTOs are not looking for more products. They're looking for one platform where they can trust the provider of that platform to have multiple solutions for them. So CISOs are looking for one provider, They want all the tools that they have to work together and integrate together harmoniously. Um, I believe that there's going to be a back to the basics movement because, uh, Mandeep, like you mentioned, a lot of the time companies just don't train their employees. They don't apply the patches. So we got to go back to the basics. And then another positive trend that I observe is there's a lot of conversation about cybersecurity at the board level. The board now is interested and curious and involved in cybersecurity. Four or five years ago, it wasn't really the case. Now, the board members are getting educated on cybersecurity risks and ransomware and, uh, you know, ways to mitigate it. So that's a positive development.
0: Got it. Okay, let's jump into these uh, rapid-fire questions. You can keep your answers brief. We'll try to cover, you know, different topics, uh, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, you'll get a chance to comment on different aspects uh, that we try to cover on these podcasts. So, uh, How long do you think the elevated cybersecurity spending is going to last?
1: I think it's not going to go away anytime soon, but I think companies are going to become smarter. 80% of a budget right now is spent on reactive technologies that don't stop the threats uh, and only 20% is spent on proactive. I think we're going to see the budget shift more towards the reactive uh, more away from reactive to proactive spend. But the but the spend is not going away. It's going to continue to increase in cybersecurity.
0: What what is one technology or trend you are most excited about over the next 2 years?
1: I'm really excited about the rise of specialized language models in cybersecurity. I think we're going to see not the large language models, but the small language models. ChatGPT and LLM, they train on huge data sets. We're going to actually take smaller language models and train it on only cybersecurity data to help the security teams distill mountains of data into a couple of actionable insights. I also think there's going to be a rise of hyper automation, a lot of automation, um, but in a much more clever way where instead of showing you lots of insights, you're going to try to blend security and the business together. So those are the two things I'm really excited about. And this real-time data training will be the secret weapon empowering security
0: teams to adapt swiftly to the new threat landscape. Right. Uh Training versus inference. What do you think would be bigger within uh, the application of generative AI and cybersecurity? Um, I think inference is
1: going to be bigger because 10 years ago, we used to have not not enough data. Now we're drowning in so much data and cybersecurity, we don't know what to do with it. So I think uh, people just can't keep up. So I think applying like almost like a co-pilot or AI to distill mountains of information into one or two things that matter and really kind of driving the inference, I think that's going to be one of the top applications for defenders.
0: Got it. How much compute capacity do you need for uh, training your algos? Are you capacity constrained in any way? Uh, We personally are not
1: capacity constrained, but actually I do think that as you look at the future of AI, what made possible the current innovation was also the fact that compute power became so cheap that you could run so many of those computations in a cloud. But I do think it will be a constraint looking into the future. Like one of the clever things that the OpenAI team did was not just applying the neural networks in a special way, but it's also how did they use GPUs for data processing and so i do think that compute power will be the constraining factor but you know as we know by moore's law compute power scales very rapidly so it's going to go in this uh, step function way it's going to be constrained then it's going to be solved and then it's going to be constrained again
0: great what could go wrong uh, with the assumptions about growth that you are making in this market
1: look everything can go wrong uh, I think humans are terrible at predicting the future. If you look at the past 12 recessions, uh, economists never predicted it. If you look at the best investors in Silicon Valley, out of ten, and we're talking about top investors, out of 10 startups they invest, maybe one succeeds. So I think predicting the future is really, really hard. Because if you knew ahead of time what's a good idea, what's a bad idea, then you would have focused on a good idea already. So I think what a lot of people miss is that you need to do a lot of cheap, quick experimentation and try things in increment and then not be afraid to pivot. So I think predicting uh, ideas and assumptions uh, is a hard thing. I think instead we need to focus on what are the biggest pain points? What, What would people pay the money for? What are the biggest problems that exist? And by solving the big problems, That's how you scale businesses, not by trying to predict what's going to happen in technology tomorrow or six months later.
0: Great. Any misconceptions about cybersecurity or, for that matter, your company uh, security scorecard that you want to clear on this podcast? Well,
1: I mean, I think there's a lot of misconceptions in cybersecurity. I think that AI is not a silver bullet for security. Actually, as a matter of fact, I think AI is going to help attackers more than defenders in a near term because attackers are going to do deepfake videos. They're going to use AI to craft sophisticated phishing campaigns to do exploits. Um, So uh, I think AI is not a panacea. It's going to be helpful, but it's not going to be a panacea that's going to solve all problems. With regards to cybersecurity ratings, I think the common misconception is that people think that There's only so much you can detect from outside that it's limited. It's open source intelligence. Actually, we look at a lot of internal information that could be observed from outside. It's verifiable. It's accurate. We test the models. We collaborate with insurance companies. So I think a lot of the time when people start thinking, how much can you really rate and gather from outside, they underestimate how much depth you can get about resilience of a company just through external signals.
0: And uh, lastly, I have to ask this to the private companies that come on uh, this podcast. Any plans to go public?
1: We're watching the market, uh, we're carefully observing it. We're well funded, uh, we are cash flow positive this quarter. We're continuing the rapid growth and customer adoption. So we're just focused on building the best product for the industry and deeply listening to our customer needs. And then uh, as the market, Capital markets condition get better. Yes, we're very much thinking about going public down the road. That is in our uh, future. We're here to build an enduring company.
0: Great, Alex. I wish you the very best for the future. And thanks a lot for taking some time to come to this podcast. Really enjoyed the conversation. And uh, probably we can chat uh, another time. Uh, So thanks, thanks again for taking the time.